0: Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am in Luke chapter 8 in this audio. Last audio, we introduced Jesus to his second Galilean tour where he had left his first tour of preaching in the synagogues in the area of Capernaum. Now he's going to be teaching in the towns and the countryside. He started out his second tour of Galilee by having a so-called busy day where six great events occurred. He was busy all day teaching. One of those events was teaching the parables from the boat put out from the shore at Capernaum. And one of those parables was the parable of the sword of the seed. All of this is not recorded in Luke, but the parable of the sword was recorded in the uh, chapter 8, ending in verse 18. We're going to pick up at verse 19. Now, the first thing that's going to happen here in in chapter 8, verse 19, is the incident where... Jesus' family came up to Capernaum from Nazareth to get him and to rescue him from the crowds. Now, there's debate about why they did that. Well, I'm going to discuss that in a minute. In fact, what I'm going to do is splice in my discussion of the same incident as it is covered by Matthew in Matthew 12, verses 46 through 50. I'll splice that audio in in just a minute. There's one thing I think I left out of that discussion there. The parallels are pretty close. There's also a parallel in Mark, but Mark doesn't add too much. But one thing I left out of this discussion in Matthew 12:46 through 50 is the interesting fact that Joseph did not come up with Mary and his brothers to get Jesus, which many people take to imply that Joseph has died by this time and Mary is a widow. Because we don't hear too much about Joseph. We don't hear anything about Joseph at the end of Jesus' life. So... Let me splice in Matthew, my discussion of Matthew twelve verses forty six through fifty. That audio begins now. Matthew twelve verses forty six through fifty. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren, brethren, stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother, your mother, and your brethren stand without, desiring to speak with you. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother? And who were my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, "Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister." This is a great Mother's Day text. I think that all preachers ought to preach this on Mother's Day and Father's Day too, for that matter. Now Jesus is not meaning to reject his natural family. This is what it sounds like. I got time for you guys. Get out of here. I'm working. But what he's trying to do is to show that his spiritual family was more important than his earthly family and that is something that every Christian ought to really drive home deep in their heart because one of the deepest human inclinations and motives is to please your family. I mean, we just can't get around that. That's just the way it is. I don't even care how dysfunctional your family was. It's still there. And at some point you might have to be you might have to realize that Jesus came not to bring peace to the earth but a sword to to set father against son and mother against daughter and so forth and so on. And here's just another example. Jesus is not going to stop his ministry for, for these people, Now, we, for his family. Now, we learn more about this little incident from the synoptic parallels. If we go to Mark 3, verse 21, and when his friends, or the NIV says his family, when his family heard of it, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said he's beside himself. They probably went from Nazareth. They, his brothers and his mother were from Nazareth, which is about 30 miles south of Capernaum. They probably took the trip up there because they heard of all these miracles being done. And they said, man, what's going on here? This, uh, our, our son and our brother is nuts. He's stirring up the murderous opposition of the Pharisees. He's going to get himself killed. Uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 31 through 32 says this. Then there came then his brother and, and his mother and standing without uh, without sent unto him calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. Now, what are some options as to what were the possible motives of Mary and Jesus' brothers? Well, they perhaps wanted to see Jesus to relax from his heavy schedule. He's working himself to death. And they didn't really think he was out of his mind. They were just exaggerating a little bit, perhaps. But the NIV study, Bible and Gill take that option. They wanted Jesus to relax. Or maybe, this is my Option, maybe he was literally, maybe they thought he was literally crazy. The enemies of Christ were saying he was out of his mind, says Adam Clark. And so maybe his families actually believed that, believed the Pharisees that he was crazy. Or maybe they went with motives of pride. We're here, and we're here to see the great teacher because we're his family. And they wanted to show everyone they were were related to the great teacher. I somehow doubt that. And this is my preference. Option number four, they wanted to point out to him that he was in great danger. Maybe even to point out the conspiracies that already formed against him. Now, the reason I say that is because I've seen many missionary families' attitudes toward their missionary sons or daughters are very similar. You can't go over to a mission and say, what about us? What about, what about us, your family? We gave you life. And here you are going off to the heathen in Africa, or wherever it is, and leaving us behind. A great example of this is the great missionary biography, Bruchko. He went, where was it, to, to South America somewhere, Colombia, I think it was, uh, and he was from Canada, and his mother had missionary meetings in, in their little church, and he went to all those meetings, and he got inspired to be a missionary, and when it came time for him to go down there to be a missionary, who was screaming the loudest against it? His mother. Happens all the time, folks. And you, if you are dedicated to serving Christ, you better get ready for it, and you better get ready to deal with it properly, which is spiritual things come before natural things. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. God will take care of your natural relations. He'll let you be able to de- bury your dead and to do all the family things that you need to do because he's supernatural, he's sovereign, but you've got to seek his kingdom first. Now, who are the brethren of Jesus? This is a good thing because, you know, the Catholics, Roman Catholics say that Mary was a perpetual virgin, that she was a virgin before she married Joseph, and she was a virgin after she married Vir- Joseph, and so the question arises, then where did all Jesus' brothers come from, if she was a virgin, and the Catholics say, well, they were cousins and that kind of thing, or, or they were step-half-brothers, step-brothers, because Joseph had a previous wife, her name is said to be Esca and uh so that they had children well i'm not going to get into that i think that if you think that mary was a perpetual virgin, please come see me because i've got some oceanfront property in arizona i'm trying to sell says that the mary and the brethren w- were without that means either jesus was indoors or he was within a, a group or a crowd and they were standing outside the crowd and somebody one said to jesus your mother and brother is here that could be a bystander and that could or it could have been one of Jesus' disciples. If it was a bystander, his possible motives could have been he just wanted to tell him, hey, you mother and brother here. Or he was actually trying to interrupt him to see if Jesus might be charged with neglecting his natural relations. Who knows? The disciples that were with him, they could have been the twelve, or it could have been all of his followers. The twelve had been sent out on a mission, and I don't know where they are now, to be honest with you. I don't. I'm not sure anybody does. And Jesus said, look, these are the ones who are my brothers and brothers. It's those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean do it perfectly, of course, because nobody can do it perfectly. But it means people who generally have a, a, a desire and a goal and a motivation to serve their Father and to conform to his will. That's who's Jesus' mother and brother and sisters in our spiritual family. In fact, hey, I just had somebody just the other day say, you know, sometimes your spiritual brothers and sisters are closer to you than your natural brothers and sisters. And these are people who had terrible family problems. One of them, their daughter had abandoned them for 12 years when she was about 20, became a transvestite and started putting all kinds of conditions on her return. You've got to call me a he and all this nonsense, you know. Yeah, family can really be a pain sometimes. You've got to follow Jesus. Let Jesus take care of your family relations. All right, now I'm returning from that spliced-in audio Concerning Jesus and his family relations. And now we're going to take up the last, another, excuse me, another event in Luke chapter 8. Which is the incident where Jesus calmed the storm while he was sleeping in the boat. Now I've already discussed this in two other places. In Matthew and in Mark. Matthew, Matthew chapter 8 verses 18 and 23 through 27. Also Mark chapter 4 verses 35 through 41. So I'm going to splice in my discussions Previous discussions, audio discussions of those two passages in this Luke audio, Luke chapter 8 audio, and then we'll be finished with this audio. I'm going to do two discussions. There might be some overlap, but since I didn't really coordinate those two discussions, I probably got some stuff in one that I don't have in the other. So I'm going to put them both in here, and we'll be finished with this audio. So the discussion of Matthew chapter 8, verses 18-18. And 23 through 27 begins now. All right, Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 25. As he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a violent storm arose on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to die. Now, the Sea of Galilee is a big lake. I've seen it. It's, it looks like a sea. It's not really a lake. It's more like a sea. You can't see from one side to the other. It's particularly susceptible to sudden violent storms, that cool air running down from the Mediterranean over the mountain, through the mountain passes, the Lebanon and anti-Lebanon ranges, range up there. The wind whips through there, down the valley, uh, through, into the north of Israel over the Sea of Galilee, and you've got the hot, humid air lying over the lake, mixing with that cold wind, and then you've got bodacious storms, violent storms. Some, some here speculate that Satan caused that storm trying to kill him. Well, that's nice. Nice speculation. Who knows whether it's true or not, but didn't matter. Jesus is sleeping. He wasn't, he wasn't worried. This is one of my favorite verses. As an inveterate worrier, I love to think about Jesus just sleeping away when things look really, really bad. I mean, the boat was going down. It was being swamped by the waves. Now, Mark adds a little detail that I like in the parallel passage. Mark chapter 4, verse 38. But he was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. He had been ministering all day, all the evening. Uh, he had been up all day, and been ministering all evening, and he was tired, and he naturally he was sleeping. Remember, he's fully human as he is fully God. So they woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? And Matthew just says, Lord, save us, we're going to die. But here's, and Mark is kind of a rebuke. Don't you care? Where are you, Jesus? Don't you care about us? Which, of course, is an absurd thing to say to the Son of God, but they panicked, and they didn't really understand Jesus yet. All right, so let's go to... Um, Let's go to, let's look back again at verse 25. The disciples came and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. Now, there's one thing. The disciples did show some faith. I mean, people, a lot of times people say, see, the disciples didn't have any faith. They say, why do not you don't care? We're going to die. And when they say they're going to die, that sounds like a negative confession, as the faith people like to say, we're going to die. That's, yeah, that's pretty negative. Doesn't show a lot of faith, but you got to point something else out. They did go to him. And they said, save us, so they must have expected him to be able to save them. Why? Because they had seen him working miracles all evening. And so they, they assumed. Now, I don't think they thought he was going to stand up and rebuke the wind and stop the wind in the storm. I think they probably thought he was going to somehow get that boat righted up and get the sails up or something. Or I don't know what they thought, but I don't think he was going to do something that remarkable. That was a humongous miracle. But their little faith that they had, it was a little faith, because in verse 26, which we're getting ready to read, Jesus says, you of little faith. Well, that little faith saved their hides, so I guess we could thank God for the little faith they had, but it's amazing. Jesus always expected people to believe in him, and when, he, when they didn't believe in him, this is what he says. What's the matter with you guys? How come you didn't believe? This is it's no big deal, you know, calming a storm. What's the big deal? Matthew chapter 8, verse 26 through 27. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. I bet the Sea of Galilee wasn't as calm as those disciples' hearts became when they saw that. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. They knew they had somebody special in that boat. This is not the first time Jesus had told his listeners that they had little faith. If you remember two chapters earlier in Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told the crowd, "If that or his disciples, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? In other words... What you worried about? You don't need to worry about food. You don't need to worry about clothes. You don't need to worry about shelter. And you don't need to worry about storms on the Sea of Galilee. You just don't need to worry. So apparently, the disciples forgot all the other great miracles Jesus had done before that. Now, that's a common human thing. I mean, how many times has Jesus providentially delivered to you? And then all of a sudden, the next problem comes. You say, oh, I'm not going to get die, This is it. I'm not going to make it through this one. Yes, you will, because you made it through the other ones. It says the disciples were amazed in verse 27. Mark adds the little detail. They were terrified. Mark chapter 4 verse 41, and they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and sea obey him. I I can't help but be a little bit jealous of those disciples. I would have liked to have seen all this. I would have liked to have walked around with Jesus. I might have been just as mule-headed and thick-headed and lacking in faith as they were, but boy, I sure would have liked to have seen Jesus work. All right, I am returning now to my Luke chapter 8 audio after having spliced in my discussion of jesus stilling the tempest in matthew 8 and now i'm going to splice in my discussion of that same incident in mark chapter 4 verses 35 through 41. that discussion begins now all right now let's take up the last incident in mark chapter 4 that we're going to talk about this is when jesus still the storm on the sea of galilee save the disciples life verse 35 in chapter 4 on that day when evening had come he told them let's cross over to the other side of the sea now remember on that day he had just spoken a bunch of parables from the boat he had probably gotten out of the boat and gone back to the house and privately explained those parables to the disciples and then he'd come back out and said well things are too chaotic here let's go over to the other side of the sea we see in the parallel passages which by the way in Matthew 8 and Luke 8 Matthew 8, verses 23 to 25, starting with verse 23, Matthew says this, as he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Well, well, I'll just quote verse 23, as he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. But The Homer Christian Study Bible says in verse 36, so they left the crowd and took him along since he was already in the boat. There already is a, a translator's interpolation there because it's in brackets. To reconcile that, I would say that what happened was is he took out once once he got into the boat, he was already in the boat, and then they left. I don't think it means that he was already in the boat after having taught the parables, because he he, had, he has to have some time to go into the house to teach the disciples privately. So he probably came out, looked at the chaos, and said, "Let's go to the other side." And there, and other boats were with him. It says in Mark chapter four verse thirty-six, other boats were with him. Those boats could have been there for because they were fishing boats that the disciples had, or it could be that. People were deliberately following him for teaching and healing, and they didn't belong to the disciples. They could have been belonging to other fishermen, but at any rate, they could have followed. But the disciples were in one boat, and they were going across the sea with Jesus. And then verse 37 and 38 in Mark chapter 4, it says this, A fierce windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so that the boat was already, already being swamped. But he was in the stern sleeping on the cushion, so they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Now you might ask, well, how can a fierce windstorm come up on a little lake? Well, it's a sea. It's a sea. I I remember the first time I saw the Sea of Galilee, and remember it shrunk now because the the country of Israel is using the Sea of Galilee for much of its water supply, and Tour Guide told us that the sea had really shrunk from what it used to be. Well, even in its shrunken state, it's so big you can't see the other side when you start on one side. It's huge. Much bigger than I thought it was. You look at the maps, it just doesn't seem quite as big, but it's huge. And violent, cold wind would come rushing down through the Lebanon Passes up there and off of Asia Minor. And cool air from the Mediterranean would drawn through those mountain passes. And then you got hot, humid air lying over the lake, that cold air rushing from the Mediterranean, hitting the hot air over the lake, and Bam, you got a storm. Some people speculate that Satan caused the storm in order to destroy Jesus. I don't know if Satan's got that much power, so that's just a speculation now in mark verse is thirty eight which I just read, we have the little detail that Jesus was sleeping on the cushion. He wasn't worried about that storm. Great application point there for all of you who would like to teach a sermon on this to teach a give a homiletical teaching on this, sleeping in the middle of the storm. Contrast that with the, the attitude of the disciples. They were scared to death. Don't you know we're going to die? Uh, and an- another little point we can make for the hyperfaith boys. What kind of faith was that? We're going to die? Oh yeah, that's a real positive confession, is it not? They lived despite the fact that they confessed that they were going to die. Now, the disciples are asking Jesus to save them. They had seen him working miracles all day long, the day before, and even though they cried to Jesus in their distress, even though they had seen him working all miracles all day long, it, apparently they were worried that he wasn't going to save them because Jesus rebukes their lack of faith. He says, you have little faith in Matthew 8, verse 26. In Mark chapter 4, verses 40, he says, why are you fearful? Do you still have no faith, So. That, so they didn't, it's not like they didn't have any faith. They went to him and said, God, Jesus, help us. So they had enough faith to go to Jesus, but they didn't have enough faith that he, that he was going to work it out quite to their satisfaction. So Jesus doesn't say you don't have any faith, but he did say you have little faith. What he's saying is, if you really had faith in me, you wouldn't even have gotten nervous. You would have just been calm as I was back there sleeping on that boat cushion. Jesus says, you have little faith. I think I checked it one time in the book of Matthew six times. For example, he told his disciples who couldn't cast out an epileptic demon. What's the matter with you guys, you of little faith? And he would say that all the time. He expected people to believe in him. And it was like, he was, it's almost like a he had this childlike attitude. Was, What's the matter with you guys? How come you don't believe me? I'm the son of God. You don't believe I can take care of anything? I'm telling you, reading these stories like this, if that doesn't build your faith, and I don't mean... In Kenneth Copeland's type of faith building, I'm not talking about faith in formulas. I'm not talking about faith in your faith, which is very weak. I'm talking about faith in the Son of God, faith in Jesus. Your faith's going to get bigger. The more you look at Jesus, the f- your faith is going to get bigger. Now, when the disciples said, "Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die?" Rabbi, don't you care that we're going to die?" What was their tone of voice? Some people have said, "Well, they're just praying and asking, praying and interrogating Jesus." Jesus. Uh, Is it really true that you don't care that we're going to die? I mean, come on. How can anybody think that? They were scared. They were complaining. They were testing Jesus. What's the matter with you, Jesus? How come you're not going to save us? That's what they were saying. Mark chapter 4, verses 39 through 41. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. So he rebuked both the wind and the sea. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Verse 40, then he said to them, Why are you fearful? Do you still have no faith? Well, I guess they had faith in after they saw it. Of course, faith is the substance of things not seen. And they saw. So maybe they, it's not true to say that they had faith in Jesus's ability to calm the storm. Maybe what he's saying is, do you not have faith in me to do anything from now on? Do you still have no faith? I mean, how many times do you see Jesus deliver you and work miracles in your life? And then the next problem comes up. Oh, God, you gonna leave me in the lurch. You're not going to get me out of this one. Do You still have no faith. Do you still have no faith? Verse 41, and they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. They still didn't really have a clear conception that Jesus was the Son of God. But can you get imagine watching Jesus get up and say, uh, wind, be still, uh, uh, sea, be calm, and boom, total calm envelops their eyes and their ears. Quite an amazing thing to be with the Son of God. He's teaching them. He's showing them gradually He's gradually revealing himself to his disciples to show who he really is. And that's the same way he works with us today. He doesn't show it all at once. We have to see incident after incident after incident of his providence, of his miracle working power, of his love, his grace. And after a while, it sinks through our skulls. You know, this is the son of God I'm serving. He's not going to let anything happen to me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm back from my discussion of Jesus stilling the storm in Mark chapter 4 and so I'm finished with this audio actually and and, in this audio we discussed Jesus's family coming to Nazareth to take him home where they thought he perhaps they thought that he was crazy and then we talked about Jesus stealing the boat and so we have covered Luke 18 verses 19 through 25 we'll start with verse 26 of Luke chapter 8 in the next audio and I hope that you enjoyed this one